I just had a new emotion, um, a new thought. Yeah, I know you're, think, you're thinking that's a novelty for me. While I was worshiping there, I regretted that I hadn't spent more time with the Lord this week in prayer and in study of His Word because I felt as though I was missing out on some of the sweetness of the worship. Oh, how sweet it was. You ever felt that before? Yeah. Well, Nathan's jokes aside, we are into our second week of our December series. Christmas changes everything. I'm going to wait just a second. Christmas changes everything. Last week we talked about the fact that Christmas changes my life. This week we're going to be looking at Christmas changes the way I live. I think it's pretty obvious that Christmas changes the way we live. Christmas time changes the way we live. But not always for the better. It doesn't always change the way we live for the better. I think, yes, many people kind of give more money and their charitable donations go up around Christmas time. But I think for the most part, greed runs rampant. Like, I want a bigger bonus. I think for the most part, materialism reigns. I want more stuff. I think for the most part, spending is out of control. Like, I don't care how much it costs. And I think that jealousy tends to consume us. Like, I want the gift that he got. In fact, on that note, um, about 10 years ago, I will never forget this Christmas. My nephew was about seven years old at the time. And... um, my parents had agreed, we were all at the grandparents, you know, my parents had agreed that, that uh, they would let us all open one gift on Christmas Eve. I don't know what you do, but we normally do it on Christmas morning. One gift on Christmas Eve, and so the kids were so excited. And uh, my nephew's younger brother opened his gift, and he had like something so cool, army men or something like that. And he tore into his gift, and it was a coloring book. And he threw it on the floor, he says, I hate it, and he stormed out in tears. Like jealousy. It was all about the gift he didn't get. The jealousy consumed him on that note. And I think we tend to fall into that. Christmas time and Christmas tends to change us in those ways. Changes us not necessarily for the better. But the thrust of Titus 2, 11 to 14, the text that is our basis for our series this December, Titus 2, 11 to 14, gets this thrust across, that Christmas And the appearing of Jesus at Christmas should change the way we live, and it should change the way we live for the better, for the better. And so if you haven't already turned there, go ahead and do so now. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. It's uh, page 998 in the Bibles that were just handed out. If you've brought your own, and I hope you have, um, it is in the New Testament just before Philemon and Hebrews, just after 1 and 2 Timothy. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. You follow along with me as I read. For the grace of God has appeared, this is the Apostle Paul writing under the influence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, we're going to be zeroing in on verses 11 and 12 this morning. We will come to 13 and 14 in the next couple of weeks. But if you remember back from last week, if you were with us, the grace of God has appeared. See it there in the first verse of verse 11? The grace of God has appeared refers to the entire life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
That's what that phrase denotes here. And it's through his appearing, his life, death, and resurrection, his work on the cross, that salvation is offered to all people. And that salvation we saw last week results in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Christmas changes the way I live if, if I know Jesus. If I know Jesus, Christmas, the appearing of Jesus Christ, the salvation that he brings, changes my life. Now, that means two things, knowing Jesus. It means, first of all, embracing him as your Savior and then following him as your Lord. Both of those things are wrapped up in this salvation that Jesus came to bring. You need to understand these things this morning. You see, let's take it in part. To embrace him as personal Savior. How do you do that? First of all, you need to admit that you're a sinner. If you want and you do need, if you haven't before, if you want to embrace Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, to know him, to have that relationship with him, you must, first of all, admit that you're a sinner. Secondly, you must trust that he died for you. That is, that when he died on the cross, he took your sins on himself, 1 Peter 2, 24. He bore your sins in his body on the tree, it says. And he died in your place. He died the death. He paid the punishment, the price that you and I deserve to pay for our sins. We need to, we need to trust that he died for us in order to embrace him as our personal Savior. And we also need to ask him to forgive us of our sins. We need to admit that we're sinners, trust that he died for us, and to ask him to forgive us of our sins. God, I'm sorry for all that I have done. I'm sorry that I have a tendency even to sin. I'm sorry that I want to sin. I'm sorry for how it grieves you. Will you forgive me? Those three simple steps, sometimes very difficult because our pride gets in the way, but those three very simple steps are what it takes to embrace Jesus as our personal Savior. Now, hear this. That's free. That will cost you nothing. Nothing. But the second part, following Jesus as Lord of your life, may cost you everything. It may cost you everything. And to follow him as Lord of your life, that is to follow him as your rightful leader, as the rightful authority in your life, you need to turn from those sins that you've just asked forgiveness for. You need to live his way, secondly, the way he wants you to live, as we find in the scriptures. And you need to surrender your life, your, your desires, to his desires. You need to surrender your desires to his desires, meaning things like you need to speak up when you want to be quiet. You need to be quiet when you want to speak up. You need to go when you want to stay. You need to serve when you want to sit. You need to give when you want to keep. You need to pray when you don't feel like it. Those are some of the desires that we fight against within us, that we need to submit to Christ's desires as Lord of our life. And there are many more. And so we need to follow him as Lord of our lives and embrace him as our personal Savior. That's the salvation. Look at verse 11. That's the salvation that is referred to that he brought for all people. That. Now, there are two things that I want you to understand about this salvation. And the first is that it's free. It is free. The salvation that God offers you through Jesus Christ is free. It's by grace. That is, as in, we don't deserve it. God gives it to us unmerited. And it's not by works. It's free by grace, not by works. 
That means that we can't do and we don't do anything to deserve it. In other words, it's a gift. Salvation is free. Did you hear me on that? We can't earn it. We can't pay God for it. We can't pay him back for it. Spend the rest of our lives doing, 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 doing in order to pay God back or, or to gain salvation or to earn salvation. It's a gift. It's free. He offers it that way, having done everything necessary to ensure our life forever and full through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. He's done it all. He's done it all. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 makes this pretty clear. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest or so that no one may boast. You see, salvation comes by God's grace. For by grace, God's unmerited favor, you have been saved. Saved to a life forever in full. Saved from a life miserable and devastating now and forever. By grace you have been saved through faith, that is trusting God's promises of forgiveness, trusting God's promises of eternal life, trusting God's promises of life to the full. Some of those scriptures we looked at last week. And it doesn't come by works. There's absolutely nothing you can do to be saved. And it is a gift. That means all that is left is for you to open up your life and receive it and receive him, Jesus. That's it. Salvation comes to us freely. That's the first thing that you need to understand about this salvation that Paul is talking about here. And the second thing that you need to understand is that it, it comes to us no other way, nor through any other person, real or imaginary. Plenty of imaginary ones out there. It doesn't come through Muhammad. Salvation, being reconciled to God, doesn't come through faith in Buddha. It doesn't come through faith in Mary. The Bible doesn't teach that. It comes through faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Alone. That's why he said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. In other words, I'm it. I'm the whole package. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, let's just be really frank and honest this morning about that. That's exclusive. It absolutely is exclusive. And that would be a real problem if it wasn't free and available to you right now. It's free and it's available. He has brought it to all people. Christmas will change the way you live, but only if you embrace Jesus as your Savior and follow him as Lord of your life. That's important to understand from the get-go. But it doesn't just stop there because Christmas changes the way I live if I also learn well, if I learn well. Look at the first word of, of uh, verse 12 there. Verse 11, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And here it is, training us. Training us. Now, those who are reading in the first century would have understood immediately what this meant. There are two aspects to this word training that we kind of miss. There's training by education that is implied here. That is, training by imparting information and training by example, you know, watching somebody uh, and how they live their life. There's that. And the Cretans that, Paul, that Titus was ministering uh, among, verse 5, chapter 1, the Cretans would have understood that. 
because they followed all kinds of philosophers. They had their own philosophers, and they soaked up all the information that they imparted, and they watched how they lived and tried to, you know, live like them where they could and so on. And so they would have understand the, understood the first part of this training, but they may not have been so quick to understand the second part of the training that's implied in this, and that is training by discipline. Why do I say that? Because in verse 12 of chapter 1, it says that they were lazy. Usually, alongside of laziness is just deafness to the circumstances of life, a blind eye to it. And so they may not have understood that training not only comes by imparting information and by example, but it also comes by discipline, as in reprimand, as in uh, taught by punishment. The point is here that we are trained or taught to soak up the truths of God's word. We are trained that way. We are trained by soaking up the truths of God in the Bible and observing the example of Christ as recorded there and the example of the apostles and the example of other godly men and women down through the ages, not only in Scripture, but that have preceded us in our lives. We are able to watch their example and we are able to learn and hopefully learn well by that means. But unfortunately, we also require training and discipline or training by discipline that God brings or allows into our lives. Discipline in, in hard times, call them storms of correction or storms of perfection. God often brings into our lives storms of correction that are intended to turn us from one wrong path that we're going to the right path, His way. God often brings difficult hardships and situations into our life to get us off the wrong track where we're going to have a head-on collision with an eternity without Him and get us on the right track. He brings storms of correction into our life, discipline that way. He also brings discipline in form of storms of perfection, hard times that are intended to refine us, to sometimes sift us like wheat, the Gospels say. Times of storms of perfection and intended to mold us more and conform us more and more into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Training often is required that way. Discipline is often necessary because head knowledge alone, if you get it just by soaking up the information, head knowledge alone does you no good, especially when it comes to salvation. Hear me on this. You can know all the facts that you want to know about salvation. You can know what Jesus has done. You can know what he's supposedly done for you, but if you don't embrace him, if there's a disconnect between your head knowledge and your heart's desire, you don't get it. You don't get it. Nobody becomes a Christian because they know the facts. That, you know, this person who says, yep, I was saved. I prayed the prayer, man. I prayed the prayer when I was five, and the flames of hell can't touch me. I'm good to go. I'm good to go. I'm saved. Let me just say this. You're not good to go. You're not saved if it's just a head thing. We were talking with somebody last night, and they were bearing witness to the fact that uh, several years back, quite a few years back in their life, someone visited them and say, said, uh, if I were to ask you the question, how do you know if you're going to go to heaven when you die? And uh, they responded at that time, because Jesus is my Savior. But they say now, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. It was just a head thing. I knew the facts, but there was no, no affection here, no relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, somebody who thinks that they can be saved by just the facts would be like an immigrant who um, comes to the United States and they want to be a citizen. And they think that they can be a citizen just because they memorize the laws of the land. Does that make them a citizen of the United States or any other country? No. No. Nor does knowing the facts of salvation 
make you a follower of Christ, a believer. Nor are you a genuine follower of Christ just because your emotions are stirred when you go to church on Sunday and when you walk in here and your emotions are stirred. I would grant you that emotions are a genuine part of conversion, and they should be. It should be wrenching for us to lay our lives before the Lord and say, here I am, save me. That should be the case, but emotions alone don't save you. That would be like that same immigrant whose heart is stirred when he hears the national anthem. Does that make him a citizen? No, no. No more than your heart being served, your heart being stirred makes you a Christian. See, a commitment is necessary. A commitment, a surrender, if you will, to the laws and leadership of the land on the part of the immigrant. And a commitment, a surrender to the ways of God and to Jesus himself when it comes to salvation. A commitment to follow him and to surrender to his purposes and plan for your life. I hope that you understand that. I hope that if you're on the head knowledge thing, but not the heart affection thing, and you haven't submitted your will to him, I hope that you, you understand that. I trust that God is speaking to you this morning, even now on that. Part now. Part of all that is that Christmas changes my life if I learn well the truths and lessons God teaches. But the best indicator of that is whether we apply what we know. Whether we apply what we know. You see, you, you haven't learned well if you aren't applying it. You haven't learned well if your head knowledge hasn't become a part of your heart's desire and resulted in a, commit, in a commitment to the Lord in a relationship with him. Part of the application then in these next phrases of this verse 12 is renouncing sin. Christmas changes the way I live if I renounce sin. Christmas changes the way I live if I know Jesus, if I learn well, and if I renounce sin. Let's look at that whole phrase. This grace of God has appeared. Jesus embodied it. He is the grace of God. Bringing salvation for all people. And here's the phrase, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Listen, I will imagine that some of you sitting here today profess Jesus as your Savior and Lord, but probably continue to indulge in habitual, intentional sin. In fact, there's very little doubt in my mind in a room this size that there's not many who are saying one thing with their mouth. Yeah, I, I'm a Christian. But they continue Monday through Saturday to indulge in sin, intentionally so, habitually so, without any thought of changing or wanting to change. Is that you? Is that you this morning? If that is, you're treating your salvation like fire insurance. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you do treat your salvation like fire insurance, you're on thin ice if you are a genuine believer because God will stop at nothing to bring you back to himself. He will stop at nothing in your life no circumstance, no nothing. If you are a genuine child of God and you are continuing to indulge in habitual, intentional sin, he will turn you because you are bringing shame to his name. He will turn you. You're on thin ice. And you're probably miserable 
Are you? If you have the Holy Spirit within you, you're miserable. If you're truly saved and you're living in sin, you're miserable. Because everything that you do that is wrong, think about it. The Holy Spirit resides within you. And everything you do wrong, you force him to do with you. Every time you go and have sex with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, you force him to come along. Anytime you go out and have a drunken binge, he's right there. Anytime you involve yourself in lust, he's there. And do you think that he's going to sit back and like sip tea and eat bonbons and say, hey, go ahead and sin all you want. It's cool. You've got fire insurance. You're going to be okay. I got your back covered down the road. That's not what the scripture teaches says that we grieve the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when you grieve the God of the universe, he will not sit by. He will not sit by. Misery will be your life. And if you're not a genuine follower of Christ, and you are indulging and living in sin, and you, out of the other side of your mouth, say, oh yeah, I've got it, I've got it. Listen, you can't have it both ways. God and sin don't mix. They don't mix. One of the ways we like to say it at Harvest is this, that if your faith hasn't changed you, it hasn't saved you. You can profess all you want, but if your faith hasn't changed you, it probably hasn't saved you. If your Sunday morning change of mind hasn't resulted in a Monday morning change of behavior, you're not saved. You're not getting it. Now, I'm not saying that when you give your life to Christ and you step over the line from death to life, that suddenly you're going to stop every wrong behavior on a dime. For some people, it happens that way, but not for everybody. I don't even think for most. It is a growing experience. It is a growth experience that as you learn more and more what God requires of you, you will begin to renounce sin. I urge you this morning, renounce sin. Give it up. That word means forsake it, abandon it, stop doing it. That's what it means to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. It doesn't just mean, hear me this, it doesn't just mean to avoid sin. It means to have a great aversion to it. It means to hate it. It means to have a bitter taste about sin in your mouth so that it's the furthest thing from what you ever want to do. That's what renounce means. Is that your attitude toward your sin? Renounce it. Renounce the greed, the selfish ambition, the fits of anger, the pornography, the promiscuity, the homosexuality, the bitterness, the gossip, the pride, the drugs, the alcohol abuse. And I could go on and on and on with just a biblical list? What is it that you are habitually and intentionally indulging in? Day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out. Renounce it. Renounce it and don't rationalize it. Be very careful of that. I knew a guy several years back. I knew him fairly well. And um, it came out somehow. I don't even remember how this came out. But it came out that he went to Hooters twice a month in order to lead a Bible study. I kid you not, that's what he said. And I thought, yeah, yeah, right you do. And even if I gave him the benefit of the doubt, in fact, I said this to him, I said, just 
Let's just assume that there's a pure motive, that that's why you're doing that in that setting. That is the dumbest rationalization of sin I've ever heard in my entire life. Stop it. Renounce it. Stop it. Don't rationalize your sin. Renounce your sin. Renounce your sin. Christmas and the salvation that Jesus brought will change the way you live if you renounce your sin. If you don't, there's little to change. Now, that's only half of it because Christmas also changes the way I live if I pursue righteousness. If I pursue righteousness. You see, Christmas has had little to no effect on some because you haven't renounced sin. And it's had little to no effect on others of you because you haven't pursued righteousness. Because your desire to live self-controlled, see the phrase in verse 12? Your desire to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, that desire has either waned or it wasn't there in the first place. And so you live in this kind of vacuum land where you don't indulge in sin, and you're not necessarily renouncing it, but you also don't pursue righteousness. Jesus talked about that a little bit in the Gospels. And you know what, that ha- what happens most of the time? If you do renounce sin, but you don't pursue righteousness, you leave yourself open to be refilled more than likely by more sin. By more sin. We must pursue righteousness. You see, this verse 12, if it does nothing at all, If it does nothing at all, it deals a death blow to the thinking that I can be saved and that has no effect on the way I live. No longer can you legitimately think that I can go to church on Sunday and be saved and I'm all good and it doesn't affect any other way of my life, the way I live. You can't think that in light of this verse, not to mention all the other scriptures. It deals a death blow to that kind of thinking. If you renounce sin, you need to pursue righteousness as well. You need to pursue that self-controlled life. It means here avoiding the extremes driven by selfish and sinful desires. That's what a self-controlled life means. Avoiding the extremes, the bookends of those sinful desires and sinful, selfish flesh. And living an upright life, meaning living one that's just and true and good and consistent and filled with integrity. One that's not compartmentalized. That's an upright life. And living a godly life is one that honors him and makes him look good in all you do. It means to to pursue righteousness means to think on things that are praiseworthy and good and commendable and excellent. Philippians 4.8. Those are the ways that we need to pursue righteousness when we've renounced sin. And we need to look at this phrase at the very end of verse 12. We need to do it in this present age. That is, with a sense of urgency. Junior hire, senior hire, young adult, don't wait, don't wait until you have indulged yourself all you want to indulge yourself in before you renounce sin and pursue righteousness. Don't wait. Pursue it now. Pursue it now. Everyone, loved one, don't wait until God brings some catastrophe or disaster or death or sickness or whatever it is into your life. Don't wait. Pursue righteousness now. Now. Don't wait until later in life because there may not be a later in life as indestructible as you may feel. 
pursue righteousness now with a sense of urgency. You see, if we don't, and you just heard the truth now, and so you know the good that you ought to do. The Bible says in James 4.17 that if you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, you sin. It's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. Do the good you ought to do. Pursue righteousness. Let Jesus this Christmas, this Christmas season begin to change the way you live. Won't you? Won't you let him? Won't you let him change the way you live so that you pursue a self-controlled, upright, and godly life? Won't you pursue opportunities to spread the word, our theme for the year? Won't you pursue opportunities to do that so more and more people worship the living God? Won't you pursue righteousness and live to increase the fame of his name instead of the fame of your name? Pursue righteousness and live to make Jesus look good instead of making yourself look good. Bottom line it, pursue kingdom things first and personal things either second or not at all. Pursue righteousness. The Apostle Peter summed it up pretty well, I think, in 1 Peter 1, verses 14 to 15. He says, as obedient children, that is, as genuine followers of Christ who know Jesus, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, as in, renounce sin. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, as in, pursue righteousness. I want you to hear just a part of the story of a couple who by God's grace and God's power renounced sin and pursued righteousness in their life and continue to do so. Garth and Deanna, why don't you come on up? I want uh, you guys to hear some of their story. If you notice in your bulletin, I love this. Garth, for some time, has been feeling God's call in his life to go into full-time ministry. And it is with great joy that um, we want to announce to you that Garth is coming on full-time as the director of high school and young adult ministries starting January 1st. And so we're thrilled for what God has in store in those ministries. But in lieu of that, I want them to hear some of your guys' story on how Christ has changed the way you live. So you're going to go first? All right. I'm just going to get it out of the way. All right. Should I give you the mic? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, no. Um, well, I had to take notes just so I wouldn't forget anything in there. I wouldn't get too nervous. Let me see this. I just turned it off. Okay. Grab the other one, Garth. Try there that. There you go. Hello. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Stop Sorry. it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. All right. Well, um, I grew up in a in a family that we we knew about God. We knew about Jesus, um, but I didn't know about a relationship. And um, I grew up always feeling like I um, I needed something more. That I wanted something more. That I had a hole, if you will, in my heart. Mm. Um, I tried filling it with many, many things. Um, my family's here to attest to that, that I tried filling it with a lot of things of this world. Um, I tried filling it with alcohol, um, with drugs, with relationships with men. Um, I tried just about everything out there, and um, I didn't find it. I, I had a great child. Um, God blessed me with a child through this time, and I thought he would fill that hole in my heart, and um, he didn't. Um, as great as he was, 
Um, he did not fill it. He couldn't fill it. Then I found um, Garth, a, a good man um, that Amen. loved me. <laughs> Amen. All right. Good bald man that I love. <laughs> um, and even he couldn't fill it as, my, as mighty. Yeah. <laughs> as a mighty man as he is, he couldn't even fill um, that hole and that need that I had. Um, nothing satisfied me. Um, it just made me more miserable and empty um, inside. I had everything on the outside. We looked like we had everything. We had a, a child. We had a great relationship, and um, we had great friends. We had, in the world standards, everything. Um, but inside, we, I knew I had nothing, absolutely nothing. Um, a great friend decided to um, open up the Bible and start talking to me about what this all meant. Um, she told me about a Savior and that he loved me and that he wanted a personal relationship just mm. with me. Um, Don't you love that boldness? Sorry. No, that's fine. Don't you love that boldness that somebody stepped up to the plate and uh, opened up the scriptures? Exactly. And uh, if any of you are in the Tuesday morning Beth Moore study, she gave a great analogy of the people who stood and watched Christ be crucified and they stood at a distance. And I felt like this whole time I had stood at a distance. I knew Christ was on the cross, but I just stood at a distance and watched and did not realize what it, that it, that was for me. Um, and it wasn't until February of, uh, of 98 that I went to that cross Amen. and I let his blood drip all over me and I let him fill that hole in my heart that, um, that the world couldn't. Um, and he filled it completely. Um, and from that moment on, my eyes were opened to the, the pain that I caused Christ with my sin. Mm. Um, not saying that I was perfect from that moment on, but, and that I still continue to sin. But the good thing is that um, his Holy Spirit is inside me to convict me of that sin from now on, and that I can choose every day to make a, a choice for him. Mm. Um, I tell you all this not to, to just tell you a cool story, but that we all have a hole in our heart. Mm. Um, Christ is there and ready to fill it if you're willing to accept him and make him Lord of your life. I know it sounds corny, and I know church can seem kind of not for everybody, but Jesus is for everybody. Mm. And I promise you, he will make um, your heart filled. He won't make it perfect, or he, he is perfect, but he won't make your life perfect, but he will, um, he will fill you. Amen. Thanks, Deanna. Why do I need to say anything? <laughs> You're dismissed. <laughs> That's awesome. To be able to stand next to your wife and listen to her um, give tes that testimony. I came from a different direction than Deanna. As a child, I, I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. My mom led me to the Lord. That's a cool thing. But as Rob said, my faith did not change me. I didn't develop that personal relationship and allow that to change me. And I drifted. I thought there was something else out there. I don't want someone to tell me there isn't anything out there. I want to find it. I wanted to find that out on my own. And guess what I did? I found out the hard way. Some of you didn't need to do that. Some of you did. I had to. When Dan and I hooked up, one of the gods in our life was, was alcohol. We were looking for the next best thing. 
I'm not here to condemn alcohol. I'm saying it ruled our life. It was one of the elements that we gave a lot of time and energy to. And we thought that the good times were the best times. Unfortunately, those good times led to bad, more bad times. And we basically just spent our days and nights banging our head against the wall, which might explain the reason I look the way I look. I don't know. But we realized that when we came to Jesus Christ, and here's the thing, we didn't change and then come. We came, and Jesus Christ changed us. Like Deanna said, he opened our eyes. Christ changed the way I lived, first and foremost, as a husband. The foundation we had was not a foundation. Christ accepts us the way we are, but he loves us too much to keep us that way. So he said, okay, I accept you. Welcome home. Now let's go back and let's go to that so-called foundation and let's build it again. He's changed my way, the way I live through the love that I have for Deanna. I thought I loved her. I thought I was in love. I wasn't. True love is sacrificing yourself, putting her first, looking for her needs and, 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 and meeting those. And it goes on into intimacy and being a leader in the family and leading her, not just physically, but, but spiritually. And it changed the way I live as a father. My children hopefully have a model of who Jesus Christ is in their Connor was there from the beginning. I hope he can say that he can look back and say, yes, I have a different dad than I did then now. Because one, he prays for me. He leads me. He disciplines me, yes, but hopefully in love, not in anger. Christ has changed the way we live. And uh, as Deanna has said, he can do that definitely for you. Thanks, you guys. Really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Listen, the only, the only question that remains for you is, has Jesus changed the way you live like that? Has he? Can you say beyond a shadow of a doubt this morning that you know him? That you know him as your savior, your personal savior? Can you say that you follow him as Lord of your life? Can you? Are you sitting here this morning? Do you need to like get right with God and renounce some sin and commit to pursue righteousness? Is that where you're at? I want to spend some time, a little bit of extended time, in fact, in prayer. So let's just go ahead and bow before the Lord. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you need Jesus, if you don't know him, if you've never admitted to him that you're a sinner, if you've never trusted that the death he died, he died for you, and the life he lives, he lives for you, if you've never surrendered your life, your desires to his desires, I want to give you an opportunity right now 
to pray along with me in the quietness of your heart and to receive him as your Savior and Lord. You pray with me if that's where you're at. Lord Jesus, I do admit that I'm a sinner and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I believe that when you died, that you died for me because of what the Bible says. And that when you rose again, you rose again so that I could have life forever and life to the full. I believe that, God, with all my heart right now. Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you cleanse me, God, based upon what Jesus did? Will you cleanse me and wash me and make me white as snow? Relieve me from that guilt that is such a huge weight. Restore to me the joy of a right relationship. If you just prayed that prayer along with me, will you do something? Will you raise your hand and just look at me? Just right where you're seated, raise your hand and look at me. I want to acknowledge you. Just wait. Thank you. Wait till I acknowledge you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Just raise your hand and look at me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? What an unbelievable joy that is. Others of you are sitting here like, yeah, I've got sin in my life, man. And I need to get rid of it. You pray too. Maybe you want to pray something to the effect that, God, I'm living a wretched life in my habitual, intentional sin. It's ugly and it's gross. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it for me and I'm tired of grieving you because of it. God, I renounce that sin right now. I commit to being done with it. Stop. I want to pursue righteousness from this day forward, from this moment forward, from this hour forward. And God, I need your help to do that. I need your help. I'm weak. I'll do anything I need to do, God. Just help me and show me. Put the people of God around me. Help me to listen to the circumstances of life, the storms of correction and the storms of per perfection. Make me willing, God, to do, to readjust my schedule if need be, whatever it is. God, I, I commit to pursuing righteousness and renounce sin. and with heads still bowed, praying. If on that first note, you just gave your life to Christ, you just confessed your sins to him for the first time, you just invited him into your life to have a relationship with him now and forever, if you just did that, I want you to stand up and just slip out of your row and come down. Why? Because we want to share in the joy with you. We want to pray with you. I'll just link you up with another man or another woman. And they will pray with you, pray for you, 
and sharing your joy. You come right now, if that's you. Many of you raise your hands. Come. Listen, don't be ashamed of the salvation that you just received. Jesus said in Luke 9, 26, he said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will I be ashamed when I come again. You come. You come and just in these first couple rows, you sit and continue to pray here. We'll pray with you. Is there anyone? Many of you raised your hand. Take a bold step and solidify that commitment. We had many come in the first service. And many of you just indicated your decision. There are others of you, like I want you to come if you just made a a renunciation of sin. You renounced it. Gone. Done. I'm done with it. I'm pursuing righteousness. You come too. Come and sit here in the front row and just continue to pray. And we'll pray with you. Thank you. You just come. Come and pray. We'll pray with you. If you want. Thank you. Come. Come. Come if that's you. Let us pray with you and for you. Don't wait. who have just turned to you for the first time and confessed their sins. Lord, grip them tightly. You promise that no one and no thing can ever snatch them out of your hand. God, we rejoice with the host of heaven over even one soul who has given their life to Christ. You've given many this morning. Thank you for saving. God, I pray that you will solidify the commitment of those who have renounced sin and are committing to pursue righteousness. Oh, God, tighten the grip. Help them. Protect them. Even this week, as they encounter possibly more difficulty, more temptation. We exalt you, Lord Jesus. We praise your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, if you want to continue to come here and stand in worship in just a minute, we're going to sing. 
Glory to God in the highest. Gloria in excelsis Deo. If you want to come and with your brothers and sisters, if you were hesitant to do so a minute ago, you come now. That's okay. There will be some elders and their wives and staff and their wives up front here afterwards. If you want to come and talk to them afterwards and pray with them, you do that. For those of you who made a bold step, either to profess Christ for the first time or to commit to pursuing righteousness and renouncing sin, and many others who raised your hand indicated that, man, I praise God for you. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to share in your joy, to share in the joy of heaven over a sinner who crossed from darkness to light, death to life. So let's go ahead and stand now and sing. Sing.